the people who are self-selecting into entrepreneurial and creative work are likely not doing so despite these struggles, but because of them. Thrive friends, this is your host, Dr. Solomon. How can high achievers reframe the dark side of their emotional struggles to their advantage? My guest today is my professional colleague, Jessica Carson, who will answer this question. She will shine the light on the unique capabilities of the minds of the entrepreneurs and high achievers struggling quietly with the dark side of their personality. She is the author of Wired This Way and the first director of innovation in the American Psychological Association. Her work on the struggles and strength of entrepreneurial minds was featured by TEDx, Oxford University Press, London School of Economics, Columbia Business School, you name it. Jess, welcome on Thrive. Thank you so much. I'm so thrilled to be here. So thrilled to have you. Jess, let's start with your book, Wired This Way. I'll quote you here. Struggles and strength are one in the same, and the solution does not come from without, but from within. I find this book intriguing. It doesn't fit the conventional, fully loaded common belief that great art comes from great pain. Instead, you suggest that creative individuals can merge the bright and the dark qualities of their emotional, physical, and spiritual struggles within. Could you elaborate on this point? Absolutely. So this all began when I was working in venture capital and startups and having a background in psychology and neuroscience, I was able to go into those roles in the entrepreneurial ecosystem really acutely aware of the thoughts and, and behavioral patterns of the creators around me. And what I was struck by so quickly was, you know, on one hand, this tremendous brightness, lightness, brilliance, productivity, creativity, risk tolerance, optimism, openness to experience, innovativeness, all of these really profound, wonderful qualities that these creators seem to possess in spades. And, you know, these sorts of qualities were the qualities that were landing them on these you know, the 30 under 30 lists and, get, you know, getting them on podcasts and the TEDx stages and these sorts of things. But as I worked with them more and more, I became aware of an equal and opposite shadow. Um, you know, it first started because uh, because around the time I was working in venture capital, research came out that um, entrepreneurs struggle with mental health uh, issues disproportionately. And uh, everyone was starting to talk about burnout and stress-related illness and uh, uh, the sort of naughtiness of creators in the media, whether uh, that's anger or it's ego or it's impulsivity or, and you're seeing all of these big, big, big examples like with mm -hmm. WeWork or with Uber, what have you. And so I got really curious about uh, these individuals who possess this profound light and this profound dark. And, and as a self-identifying creator, it was around this time that I myself started to really struggle with this tension within myself. 
And so largely in an effort to better understand myself, I started looking into the research on everything from these mental health issues that creators struggled with disproportionately or uh, the systemic nervous system sensitivity that they seem to have. And what emerged in short order was this incredible through line or double-edged sword of the light being connected to the dark. So it's not necessarily that the darkness is leading them to the light, although certainly it can, uh, so, so to speak, but that they are two sides of the same coin. Uh, and so I, you know, I could, I could give a ton of examples of, of this, but, you know, one common example is you look at somebody, um, who has depression, which is, which is significantly higher in, in creative and entrepreneurial minds than not. And you look at the adaptive light side of that and, and you see someone who's able to, to slow their energy down, to withdraw from a situation, to think practically and realistically about the problem at hand to kind of have this uh, 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 a sense of acute realism and to take the time away from the world to ruminate on that problem of their choosing and then to bring it back into the world as a finished solution like a book or a company or a song. Um, you know, if you look at bipolar, which is 11 times higher in entrepreneurs than non-entrepreneurs, you actually have, when you combine the depressive periods with the manic periods, you actually have all of the characteristics of the successful creator. You have that ability to be contemplative, reflective, ruminative, to, you know, withdraw from the world, to, to, to be productive, but then you also have that sociability, that risk tolerance. Um, and so, and even things like stress-related illness, um, this is one of my favorite examples because it, it applies very acutely in my life. I have a very, very sweet and sensitive nervous system. And I used to view this as uh, a hindrance uh, to my success. I used to think that I, I had to toughen up and that my sensitivity, my intuition uh, was, was a flaw or a fault. Uh, and then I came across some research um, uh, that came that they they discovered the hyperbrain hyperbody theory of integration, which essentially means that individuals with higher IQs are more prone to psychological and physiological illness because they have these nervous systems that are receptive and they're on all the time and they're noticing every you know pattern and trend and connecting every dot and this state of systemic awareness is what allows them to be so brilliant. It's what allows them to create. It's what allows them to see things and skate to where the puck is going in a way that others can't. But it also means that the nervous system can be run raw, uh, that the nervous system can be run down, uh, that those individuals might experience, you know, whether it's insomnia or it's hormonal disruption or it's depression because of that sensitivity. Um, and so I kept coming across example after example after example of all of the ways that this darkness was actually not at all distinguishable from those qualities that we celebrate creators for. And it began to make me so angry, frankly, that, you know, especially the entrepreneurial and creative ecosystem has this culture where, you know, 
we're not allowed to express our feelings. We're not allowed to be sensitive. We're not allowed to um, have doubts or have fears or express ourselves vulnerably when the reality is the people who are self-selecting into entrepreneurial and creative work are likely not doing so despite these struggles, but because of them. And they're not creating despite these awarenesses and these sensitivities, but they're creating through them. And so it almost moves past destigmatizing uh, uh, de these issues. And it actually moves for a true celebration of those things about ourselves that we deem inconvenient at best, those scarlet letters and, and those, uh, you know, um, nuances that we would prefer to hide and to really view those sensitivities as the strengths. View the sensitivity as strength. Yes. This resonates with something I recently read from Chris Zara's book, uh, Tortured Artists, mm -hmm. where he refused to settle with the myth that pain is the sole source of great creative work. And it right. is in line with what you say. Sometimes the part that we think is weakness can be strength. And this is unconventional to me. And that brings me to the next question, Jess. What points in your book you believe that authors and psychologists in the field might disagree with you about? Mm -hmm. uh, well, I think a few. Uh, I think first and foremost, I think they might disagree with the, my approach and my tone because I take um, what I perceive to be kind of um, a tone or approach of levity and, and, and maybe a casual approach in that I weave in um, disciplines like mythology and mm -hmm. archetypal wisdom. Um, and, you know, I wouldn't explicitly say spirituality, but I would say a lot of topics that fall sort of in that metaphysical space. Mm -hmm. And so I think one is uh, for anyone with a sort of hyper academic lens, they may find fault with that. So the way that the book is laid out, I review uh, the 10 archetypes, mm -hmm. creator archetypes found within the entrepreneurial spirit and the light and dark of those. Mm -hmm. um, and I do this because this is the way I prefer to learn. I learn best when things are colorful and engaging and practical and artistic and they come alive. And so, you know, that may be some people's cup of tea, may not be other mm -hmm. people's. I think another approach or another reason people may disagree with the work is because, um, you know, I, I, I push back against this idea that, uh, you know, we need to cure everything about ourselves that is bad uh, or can be perceived as bad. Now, this is this is where you kind of need to put an asterisk on things because of course, if somebody really needs to be treated for a physical or psychological condition, they should be. However, what I'm cautioning against is this um, exorcism of everything about ourselves that we view as, as dark or shadowy because those aspects of ourselves are so richly informative. And a lot of this comes from Jungian tradition uh, um, that the darkness can be so informative. And that's not to say we should live in the darkness or wallow in the darkness, but uh, you know, really being able to get super curious about our shadow in all forms, I think is a creator's fuel. Um, you know, I, I think 
I think those would probably be the, the, the biggest sort of push pushbacks or this idea that I'm saying, um, you know, all creatives uh, uh, should celebrate the fact that they have mental illness or somehow glorify mental illness or something like that, which I'm certainly not doing. Um, but but I'm, I'm taking I, I, what I perceive to be a more nurturing approach uh, than the dialogue or the rhetoric that's currently out there. Yes, and I could see this in your book. You are treating the dark side also on a spectrum. It is not completely dark. It's not completely bright. And the dark and the bright can merge and yes. lead to something bigger than the two. One example from, from my personal life, um, you know, when I was, and to be clear, my work isn't specifically and exclusively focused on mental health issues, but they do, they do come up a lot in the work. You know, when I was in high school, I um, suffered from, excuse me, college, I suffered from a quite severe eating disorder. And when you actually look at the wiring of someone who is uh, going to be more prone or predisposed to eating disorders, I mean, having uh, the type of eating disorder that I had is not for the, the sort of weak of spirit. It requires diligence and, and sort of control and uh, self-restraint and this sort of feverish and impassioned personality. And so, you know, if you can begin, and so that's not to say you know, if you have an eating disorder, you shouldn't try to, you shouldn't address it. That's not it at all. But in hindsight, I can now see how those aspects of my personality that led me down that path of darkness are the same parts of my personality that can, that can lead to me publishing a book and doing a TED talk before the age of 30, for example. Like it's, it's one in the same, right? If I wasn't wired that way, I wouldn't have experienced that darkness, but I also wouldn't be celebrating and enjoying the lightness that I've been able to cultivate from that as well. Well said, Jess, well said. And before we move on, I'd like to ask people watching our interview here to open a new tab and look up jessicacarson.co, not .com, .co, <laughs> one word, click on the book, read more about her book and her research. You can also follow Jess on her IG at jessica.m.carson and the links are posted in the YouTube description. So now let's now shift gears. Let's now shift gears to the real world, Jess. Yes. You have worked with creative minds in startups and venture capitals and in science, as you mentioned. As psychologist, what have you observed as big mental pain points that entrepreneurs and creative minds have been dealing with, especially during crisis, like say the pandemic time? Oh, I love this question. Rewind 200 years, 300 years, 400 years, 500 years. Most of us were some kind of artisan, craftsman, butcher, baker, candlestick maker. We created for a living. Um, that's just what sort of our, our world was back then. And so, you know, we like to think about sort of entrepreneurs and creatives as if this is like a modern day concept that was like born in the 1980s or something, when the reality is we are the descendants of those creative individuals who literally created as, as, as livelihood. So we have that same compulsion to create from within us. We have that same desire. We have that same instinct to create. 
However, what is different now is the culture mm -hmm. because the culture now tells us to create, but it tells us to do it in a very certain way. It tells us that we have to be insanely productive. It tells us that we have to keep calm and carry on, that we have to hustle and crush it, that we have to, um, you know, just be sort of these superhuman creators. And frankly, those pressures of our society are not a fit for how we are wired as creative beings. Because if you think about, uh, uh, you know, the history of creation, there, it's a slow process. It's a delicious process. It's a process that involves emotion and contemplation and reflection and steeping and aging and, and patience and all of these actually very archetypally feminine characteristics. So you take the modern day culture, which is now very archetypally masculine with this emphasis on practicality and production at all costs. And then we wonder why creators are discontent. We're all having a crisis of meaning. Uh, we live in a damaged environment in a sick society with products that, you know, often aren't doing anyone any good. And it's because the incentives are no longer in our favor for us to truly be that whole creative self that we are instinctually compelled to be. And so this is a very long and sort of flowery way of answering your question, which is, I think the biggest issue is that creators give themselves a really hard time because they feel like they're not allowed to be sensitive. They're not allowed to do things slowly. They're not allowed to. And so it's causing this dissonance between the way they're compelled to create and the way that they're being forced to create. And it causes issues in, you know, mind, body, and spirit. And then obviously in the outcome, and there's a reason so many of us are burned out and it's because we're being forced to create in this archetypally masculine way. So what I would say is that, you know, really, I think awareness is is sort of the first step. So if you are feeling this way or have ever felt this way that, um, you know, there's just no space for you to be the creator that you want to be, that there's a real reason for that and that it's not your fault, um, that, you know, your, your desire is not, your desire is not wrong. Second is acceptance of that saying, okay, it's not, I'm not bad or broken. I'm literally just wired this way. And then it's about, reflecting on how you can adjust your life, your work, your relationship with that work, your relationship with the entrepreneurial ecosystem, your, your interaction with the way that you seek external praise or validation so that you can craft a relationship with your work that is more conducive to the way that you're wired to create. I can relate to some of this in the basic science world where there's the pressure to publish or perish and basic science is a field where a lot of creativity is needed with the current pressure to measure everything, to put a value in everything. Things get really tough. And this brings me to the next point, Jess, and you touched on it already in answering the prior question. What would be something that you would suggest to people to do the like entrepreneurial minds and scientific minds about self-compassion mm -hmm. and other pieces of advice 
you would like to give to entrepreneurs who quietly struggle with emotional and spiritual conflicts? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love it. So, well, first I just have to say, I mean, if this resonates for you, then I think the book would actually be the most helpful because it literally, I mean, tells you what, not what to do. I don't think anyone, <laughs> I, I I think I would be a fraudulent guru if I was telling people what to do. It gives a template of, of a path that people can create for themselves. But um, what, what I would say is again, to take the stance of, well, okay, so let me frame it this way. So research has actually shown that entrepreneurs are more intuitive than non-entrepreneurs. It has shown that entrepreneurs are closer to God or, or report that they're closer to God, that they feel this relationship to God than non-entrepreneurs, um, that uh, creators are more likely to use their work as a means to self-actualize, that they tie their sense of meaning and identity and purpose into their work in a way that most people don't. So there are actually all of these very interesting indicators that creators, entrepreneurs, they, they have this sort of spiritual, implicitly or explicitly spiritual, emotional connection to their work. And, you know, so if people are feeling this sense of uh, 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 emotional or spiritual distress or, or depletion at this time, oftentimes what that is a result of is feeling like you have a burden, a responsibility in the sense that you came here with a purpose, you came here with this big ball of energy burning in your belly and you want a place to put it. And so many people, especially during the pandemic, have not been able to displace or to alchemize that energy in an effective way, meaning they still have that desire to do good and to create good things. Uh, but but haven't been totally clear on where to place that energy. And so I would say that in the context of the current pandemic, um, find alternate places to derive your sense of meaning and purpose while things continue to be chaotic because overly relying on one's work to fuel one's sense of purpose, and I know this because I'm extremely guilty of it, um, is 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 uh, considered obsessive passion by researchers which is directly correlated to burnout so it's just you know it's not a, it's not the best place to be in but it's also understandable given our wiring mm -hmm. so it's sort of allocating those like energetic tokens across a, a variety of places to, to to find purpose also reminding themselves that purpose is not found it's created and so you know really um uh, uh taking the approach that you know moments of purpose and, and meaning and actualization and awe and wonder and gratitude can be created at any moment in a day. Um, you know, I believe for creators uh, through artistic modalities can be especially effective, whether or not you're particularly good in them. Uh, it, it tends to be a really great vehicle for creators to move that energy out and through. And so picking up a practice, whether it's watercoloring or, um, uh, you know, scrapbooking or uh, singing. I mean, all of these things can be really great ways to just move kind of that that energy through. Um, I, those would be a few of the many things that I would recommend for people right now. But Wired This Way is a great place to start. Oh, terrific. And people watching us, if you're enjoying this conversation, 
please subscribe to the YouTube channel at drsolomonmd, one word, and share the link on social media so that others can benefit from Jess' great insight. And why not follow me on my Instagram and Facebook at drsolomonmd as well. Now, Jess, this is the question I ask every guest on Thrive, and you already kind of half answered it, so I'll follow up in the second half. We all had setbacks where we picked ourselves up and managed to thrive. Why not share a setback of yours and how did you overcome it? You mentioned the eating disorder during college time. How did you manage this to become who you are now? Yeah, well, so when I was working in venture capital, my, I was really, I was burning the candle at both ends. I was not, I did not have this understanding of my wiring and I broke myself in a sense. Uh, and the, uh, uh, because I learn everything through my body uh, for better, or for worse. And so my hair started to fall out. And so this was a sign for me, a very clear, very distressing sign um, that something needed to shift. This indication of the hair falling out was, I mean, of course, it's a threat to the ego, uh, especially for a female in, in, in so many ways, a young female in so many ways. But it was really an invitation for me to truly fall in love with my sensitivity because that's, I mean, that's really what I learned from it is that, you know, I have a very sensitive nervous system that can easily become triggered, uh, you know, by, by disturbances in, in mind, body, spirit, or environment. And this was really the reckoning of learning to cozy up to the intuition, cozy up to, you know, the empathy, all of these things that were previously depleting me and harness them as superpowers. And so I would say if anybody listening to this has ever experienced any mental, emotional, physical, spiritual ailment, take a really close look at how that has informed where you are now, what your, you know, sort of your wisdom is now, because I guarantee you there is, there is an absolute through line, but you know, between that incident and an incredible perspective or strength that you have now. And oftentimes that disability, that diversity, that disruption, that uh, disillusion is the way like that is, that is, the 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 experience that forces us into that different way of being and ultimately closer towards our purpose but i would say what was the most effective for me was actually alchemizing that pain into the wisdom that i then shared in my book because it was when i was really able to to share that in a way that made other people feel less alone that was what like that was when the healing really clicked um you know if if we can share our journeys and make anybody feel a little less you know sick dumb lonely whatever it is they're feeling then i i i mean i think that's really the purpose of being a creative being yeah thank you for sharing this i know it is painful very painful to share this and i'm hopeful this will be empowering to many people, especially entrepreneurs, uh, CEOs, people starting with their small business, young scientists, 
or struggling quietly with depression or stress management to look at their weakness in a different light. And as you said, it could be also their source of strength and their source of innovation and creativity. Yes. yes. Anything you would like to share with your audience on Thrive that you have not shared before on any podcast? Well, two things, and I'll keep it really quick because I know I'm rambling. <laughs> First, <Why not? laughs> that so much of so much of the distress that we experience is simply through the lack of acceptance we have around the way that we're wired. And it's amazing how much of the pathology naturally dissipates once you come to that place of acceptance, but you only come to that place of acceptance by first taking the journey of self-understanding. And so, you know, I, I, I would encourage anyone listening to this to embark upon that journey um, so that they may reach this place where they're truly accepting uh, uh, their darkness uh, and their light is one and the same. I would also love to share. So it's not, so my website is still www.jessicacarson.co. Over the next few months, I will be launching the Magnum Opus Academy, will be the, which will be the new home for all of my work, including my Magnum Opus virtual course, which is essentially my book, um, but uh, made even more robust and translated into a virtual course. So if anyone is interested in learning more about that, they can absolutely reach out to me. Thank you for sharing this. For people watching this episode of Thrive, if you're enjoying this conversation, please share the link on your social media so that others will benefit. Remember to check Jess's website at jessicacarson.co, not .com. Just want to remind you it's not .com. What a pleasure to have you, Jess, on Thrive, and hopefully we can chat more in the next episode about the 10 stereotypes. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. Until we meet in two weeks, keep safe, keep motivated, keep resilient, and see you in the next episode of Thrive. Thank you. Please click subscribe and don't forget to introduce yourself in the comment section below so that I get to know you. Thank you.